society. What's going on everybody? This is Alex Fishbein back again with the Atlantic Files and we're on episode number 56 and we are continuing our teams of the week here. We are continuing with the grades of the Atlantic teams grading the season they had and just talking about what kind of offseason they uh, are going to have and should be looking for going forward in the draft tomorrow, in free agency, whatever it may be. Now, if you're just tuning into this one, we did have one other episode before. We were starting from the bottom of the standings, so the Brooklyn Nets were the first ones up. I just did them last week, and just a little bit to add to that, if... uh, You didn't hear yet, they did just trade Brooke Lopez, and the, their, um, they did trade Brooke Lopez and one of their second round picks over to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I mean, based off of what I've seen, Brooklyn definitely won this trade. I was just talking in that last episode that Brooklyn needed to get rid of Lopez and get something for him before he just walks away for free. And this is a lot more uh, they got that they got in return than I thought they would. I did not think they would get a guy like D'Angelo Russell. Uh, he is somebody that they can definitely try to build around now because Russell was looking very promising for the Lakers. Some of his per 36 numbers rivaled those of some of the top guards in the league. And now as the clear cut number one guy, the only other guy who's really uh, would be, you know, contending with him for the, the ball most of the time in those minutes would be Jeremy Lin. So really what comes down to it, we're going to see like, full max potential D'Angelo Russell coming up because, you know, this is his team now. This is going to be his playground, and they're going to live through him and what he can and cannot do for at least for the time being. So I really love this this move from the Brooklyn Nets. Still kind of wondering why exactly the Lakers did it. I understand they want to go for Paul George, but at the same time, like, why get rid of... D'Angelo Russell for Brooke Lopez. Yeah, clear some salary cap because they did get Timothy Mozgov off the, off the books, but still not that great of a look. Um, anyway, so moving on to the team this week, we have the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that's close to my heart. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been watching these guys since uh, pretty much since I was born. Uh, if you want to talk about when I could actually, like, understand and gather what basketball was we'll say 2000 Uh, so it was a good time to really get into being a Sixers fan with Allen Iverson there and going to the finals but you know we've uh, every Sixer fan will tell you they've they've gone through some of the biggest doldrums some of the biggest nightmares so far uh and that's not even counting the hinky era but so went through the hinky era and here we are with the Brian Colangelo era starting you know just a year ago uh, and I'm not going to lie, start things off. I, when, when they first brought Colangelo in and Hanky was pushed out and Hanky stepped down, I recorded a episode of Atlantic Files and I said, 
um, I pretty much ripped the the ownership of the Sixers, saying, you know, this is stupid. Um, Hinky had this plan. He was following the plan, and we all saw where the plan was going. Um, and here's the thing: a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, uh, the the process failed you know it's taking too long they're having terrible seasons they have to do something right away a lot of the time that was like national media that was people looking from the outside in whatever i'd say about 75 to 80% of sixers fans were completely fine with waiting out the process that like most of the sixers fans that i know and now i'm in the philadelphia area so it's not like i'm in some random city and i only know like 3 sixers fans I know a good amount of Sixers fans and most of the ones that I know have been patient enough and they are continuing they, they well actually they would have continually been patient to wait for the right time to go after certain free agents they would have been ready for the right time to go after uh different draft picks whatever it may be they were being patient a lot of the Sixers podcasts that you'll turn that you'll tune into these guys are patient they're like hey We understand that we're terrible. We understand that we have to suffer through some bad seasons here if we want continuous success based through the draft and not just trying to retool as we go on and just stay in mediocrity. Because really when you're stuck in mediocrity, mediocrity, you're still not relevant. People like to say, "Oh, well, at least those teams, you know, making that 8th seed, whatever, those teams are relevant." No, you're really not. You're getting to the 8th, 7th, even maybe 6th seed, and you're getting bounced out in the first round. So, really what kind of relevance is that? That that's not being relevant. That's being an average mediocre team that just gets bounced out and sure, you played one meaningful series, but you probably got swept or lost in like 5 or 6. So, really there's no benefit to that. Um so as I said, a lot of the Sixers fans I know, these people are patient people. They want to be a dynasty. They don't want to just get to the finals like they did with Iverson and then never get back there again. They want a team that is going to be together for a long time who will c- continually succeed with each other and one that builds, grows and recognizes greatness together. This is something that they want. And it's funny because tons of different um outlets like ESPN, Bleacher Report, different things like that, you know, with uh, uh Fox Sports as well, with a bunch of those guys coming out and saying, uh oh, Sixers fans are, you know, going through a nightmare, blah blah blah. Well, they are really projecting this upon Sixers fans. A lot of these writers are just mad that they had to cover the team in this point of time because okay, yeah, it wasn't like there wasn't all that much to write about because they were a bad team. But if you really sat back and, you know, just saw the different types of players, the different types of characters that came through these doors since this whole process started, you would get enjoyment out of it. I'm not going to lie, I have had some great times diving deep deep into statistics to really figure out, you know, which players could be a diamond in the rough, which players could be uh uh the next 
you know, Hassan Whiteside coming from the D-League and then blowing up to be a really good NBA player. If you didn't know, Robert Covington was in the D-League, one D-League player of the year, and that's when the Sixers got him from the Rockets uh, because he was with the the Rio Grande team that was the Rockets D-League team. So they have found their, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel guys, well, believed to be bottom-of-the-barrel guys who have uh, really proved that they belong in the league. Um, so we're really this whole, this whole thing, like stop ripping the process and ripping the fans or like saying you have quote unquote pity on the fans because of these bad seasons. Most of the time, scratch that all of the time, Sixers fans didn't want your pity. They didn't want people to say, Oh, I feel bad for Sixers fans. No. None of us cared that you felt bad for us. They knew there was a plan. They saw the plan that Hinky detailed. And they were ready to wait and see what kind of picks came out of it. This was not something that we were sitting here feeling sorry for ourselves and saying, well, we're just never, ever going to do anything ever again in the history of this franchise. No. Nobody was saying that. This isn't this isn't some kind of like soap opera where we just fake be sad about everything. Sorry, just had to get that out. So, let's uh, uh oh, actually one last thing. Please don't post this crap about like bandwagons jumping on the Sixers bandwagon. Like I've already seen something that says like Oh, if you didn't suffer through this, and it showed a picture of, you know, one of the bad teams from the past few seasons. It said, uh, if you if you didn't suffer through this, then you can't enjoy this. And it was like Embiid, Simmons, and Fultz. First off, I would love to have millions and millions of people at the parade. That That would make it much more fun. That would make it so cool to set some kind of record. That would be awesome to see for a parade if it were to happen and second off the people posting these things are usually the ones who didn't even watch those games they're the ones who turned on the tv realized this was the process sixers and they were like i'm not watching this they're terrible so how are you going to be a one to even say that kind of thing Everyone I've seen that has posted that picture have been one of the people who have watched maybe 10 games each of these seasons. So first off, you're being fake and dumb and you're lying about it. And second off, let people join the bandwagon just because they're joining the bandwagon to see maybe a team who can win a championship doesn't mean it's any less important for the people who have been here since day one. So just stop. Anyway, moving on to the uh, first half of the grades here that I had. Now, I graded the, you know, the guys who are supposed to be the Sixers' top draft picks. And I also graded the returning players and the other picks that they had that may not have been, like, in the lottery. Um, So, let me start with the returning players for now, just, just because, you know, the returning players and other picks uh, just because they've been around for a little bit. So I gave them a C plus. So this group 
started as like one of the most garbage teams that we've seen in a while. It's true. The the team was terrible. They were part of like those 10-win teams and everything. Um, well, some of these guys were. And, you know, uh, all hope seemed lost, whatever it may be, whatever you want to, to put on that narrative. Um, but these guys have really stepped up and showed that they, they belong in the league now. Well, some more than others. But the fact that through the seasons of getting as many wins as like the Warriors did in one season in the amount of like four seasons, they still came back each and every day and improved upon their game, played with a lot of grit, and really came to came to play night in and night out and two three of those players that I want to highlight are obviously Robert Covington uh, TJ McConnell and Rashawn Holmes so Covington you know came in as like a three and D kind of player except you know he was only he was pretty average defense when he first started playing and his three-point stroke was good uh, but, you know, he was more of like a high-volume three-point shooter, and a lot of people were a little worried about it. He was shooting around 40% his first two seasons, and I remember seeing a stat that said through, like, their first, I think it was like 200 or 300 threes, uh, like, a, a, through two seasons or something like that, the only people to shoot 40% or more uh, was, like, Covington and Damian Lillard, I believe. This this was a stat a long time ago. I could be wrong, but uh, I, I remember them showing that on, um, you know, on ESPN during a a game. So that was one thing that stood out to me about Covington. You know, we know he can shoot, but he came into this season on a really mean, mean cold streak to start the season. I mean, he ended up at like. Even after getting, you know, warmer and warmer as this season went on, he still only finished with 39.9% from the field and 33.3% from three-point. So you can obviously see how cold of a streak he really went on to start the season. But the fact that he became one of the best wing defenders in the league should be a huge testament to Covington's, to to his his mindset, to the way he attacks the game, and just to his overall heart to play the game. I mean, he finished with the third best defensive box plus minus on the team, and the other two ahead of him were guys you would probably expect. Nerlens Noel, when he was still there, and Joel Embiid. The other guy in the top four, who is the only other guy to have above a 1.0 defensive box plus minus, was Rashawn Holmes. So Covington's the only wing player on there. He's the only non-big man on there. And his his defensive box plus minus, <clears throat> excuse me, was 2.0. It was a solid one, especially for a team that, you know, only won like 28 games. Uh, and then not only that, his value over a replacement player was one of the highest on the team, even over Embiid, who had a ridiculous plus minus throughout the season. 
So, Covington's importance to this team, really to any team, if he were to go to free agency, I guarantee you he would have at least 10 teams calling him for his services if he were to hit free agency. Because not only is he a good defender and a good shooter, he's only 26 years old. So, I mean, he's still coming into his prime. And Robert Covington is the type of guy that is going to play that key role on a championship caliber team. That's what Covington is going to do. So when you hear all these people say, oh, Covington's trash, Covington's garbage, you better look them in the face and tell them they are lying because this man has tons of importance on this team. And they would, I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you they would love having him on their team as well. And so that brings me to TJ McConnell. Now, there have been tons and tons of jokes about TJ. Um, I mean, when he first really started playing and they tried to throw him in a starting role, it was just all bad. He, you know, some at times looked lost, at times looked helpless just because of his size and the fact that he's not much of a shooter. But, you know, he came into his own as well. He uh, finished last season, played 81 games, started 51 of them. Uh, but he finished with almost 7 points. He finished with 6.9 points per game, 6.6 assists per game, and 1.7 steals per game. Um, oh, and by the way, Robert Covington finished with almost 2 steals per game. He was, like, in the top 5 for steals per game in the entire league. Uh, that's with guys like Draymond and Kawhi. So, yeah, his defense is up there. But um, TJ was up there as well in steals. And, you know, we had a 6.6 6 .6 assist to 2 turnovers per game. So, that's about a 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. That's not bad. Um, I mean... Like I said, I don't th I don't think he's a starter going forward. He is only 24, so he also has plenty of time to improve. I don't really see his three-point shot improving all that much. Um, it's a real flat kind of shot, and I don't really see that getting like that much better. But the fact that he can still come in and really uh, initiate the offense and initiate, you know, some really nice things to happen like other than just flat out scoring. Um, he's one of those guys that can like dribble around for a while. The defense will be all over the entire team and he'll somehow find a pass with a few seconds left in the shot clock and he'll get the team a bucket. So he also like with, with Ben Simmons coming back, who is undoubtedly going to be the primary ball handler as they have, as Brett Brown and the front office has said for a while now, TJ McConnell has the potential to be a very solid backup point guard. And I know people laugh and be like, wow, a, a solid backup. That's important to have. I mean, just look at the difference between Golden State and Cleveland and look at their backup point guards. Livingston played a hell of a lot better than Darren Williams. I mean... For most of the finals, we talked about Darren Williams being complete garbage and 
on the other hand, Livingston gave Golden State huge minutes. So the backup point guard spot is an important spot. And TJ McConnell, if he continues to improve his game as he had from like his first season to his second season, he has the potential to be that kind of player. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, going over to Rashawn Holmes. Now, since Nerlens Noel was traded away, he has to step into Nerlens' role. He has to be that defensive uh, rim stopper behind Joel Embiid. And he's also a guy that can stretch the floor. I mean, this is obviously something that he's still working on, but I like seeing Rashawn Holmes step out to the three and take that shot. I mean, he shot it at a 35% clip. He shot almost as good as Nick Stauskas. And he shot better than TJ McConnell, better than Dario Saric, um, even close to Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid shot 36.7% from three. So having Rashawn Holmes off the bench as well as that really energizing guy that can catch the lob, hype up the crowd, stretch the floor and hit threes, get the blocks on the defensive end, he is playing, I mean, he's turning out to be an important aspect of the team as well. And it's funny because I, I look at these guys that, you know, aren't necessarily the, the, the main guys. They're not the Embiid's, the Simmons, the Sarch's, um they're, they're the supporting cast guys. And it really seems like the Sixers have a solid supporting cast that just needs to grow a little. And grow a little, I mean like mature a little. Now, I mean obviously that's all speculation right now because a lot of them are very, very young. But that is what it has seemed like so far. And the other returning player slash other pick that I wanted to talk about uh, is uh, Timothy Luawu Cabarro. Uh, obviously, he's not a returning player, but he was just a later draft pick. Um, I think that he, as the season went on, he he was starting to show some some promise. Uh, in the beginning of the season, you know, he really couldn't find a way to stay on the court. There just wasn't enough that he was doing to really warrant to get that many minutes. But as the season went on, as guys like Hollis Thompson were traded, um, as Jeremy Grant was traded, it really opened up the door for Luau Cabarro to, you know, get those minutes and and get the the time of day to really show what he has. And once given that opportunity, I thought he made the best of it. Um, he showed that, you know, he can he can shoot. Uh, he showed that he can get to the rim. He's still very, very raw. There's still a lot to improve with his game, but he's showing that the tools are there. He just has to hone them. He has to perfect them. Um, I mean, just he, he only played 17 minutes per game, uh, shot around 40% from the floor, 31% from three, um, 85% from the free throw line and you know he he looked like he could fit into the flow of the offense is what really stood out to me he didn't look like it he he didn't seem like that that um the loose link in the chain you know 
he didn't seem like the the hitch where when you pass the ball that way it seems to get stuck over there uh he he really impressed me as the season went on and i think that if they don't decide to keep him if they don't think he can be that starting two guard that they may want then he would play a very nice trade piece as well because i guarantee you a team like the brooklyn nets would love to have him and you know take a flyer on him to see what kind of player he really is so i gave them a c plus now going to the top draft picks i gave the top draft picks the collective of them a c plus as well um now i know a lot of people are probably like dude c plus like a lot of those guys played great they played a whole lot better than everyone was expecting but it comes down to it i can't i i just i just can't go over it it's health that is the biggest factor against the sixers right now health and everyone knows it it's not some kind of secret uh, I mean, Ben Simmons got hurt during the preseason. I, I still remember, you know, I, I think I was on the bus or something coming back from, uh, I think it was either like work or class. I don't remember if, or no, it, it was coming back from work because it was during the, the summer because it was in preseason. And I just remember looking at my phone and it said that, you know, Ben Simmons got hurt. It's a foot ankle injury. And I looked at it and, you know, like my heart kind of stopped a little. <laughs> I looked at it and I I had this like sinking feeling. And they, they were saying they didn't think it was like that serious. They thought it would be out for a little while. And I was like, OK, that's a little reassuring. But I just had this bad feeling. And then not too long after that, you know, foot fracture, Jones fracture, the same thing that uh, Embiid had. Right there, that ruined like an entire week for me. <laughs> like reading that news ruined an entire week. So if that doesn't show you how invested in <laughs> in this that I was, I don't know what else will. Um, and then on top of that, you had Embiid who was limited. Yeah, he was he wasn't playing any back to backs. Um, he was on a minute restriction. He had a lot of stuff so that, you know, they could they could really ease him into it so that he wouldn't get hurt again. And first part of the season, I mean, you couldn't tell me otherwise. I wanted this man playing every single game possible. And I every Sixers fan, every other Sixers fan did, too. I mean, he was averaging 20.2 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, two and a half blocks per game. Only while playing 25 minutes a game. This is only 25 minutes a game. He shot 46% and 36% from three. Like, he was even shooting almost 80% from the free throw line. This guy was shooting the ball so much better than we really could have expected and it also brought one of my favorite quotes ever when they asked him how he developed his shot and how he got good at shooting when he said he just watched white people on the internet that yo i 
that quote like lives in my phone. Uh, I look at that quote like at least every day whenever I need a good laugh. That quote is amazing to me. I I love that quote. I mean, we we got to the point where this this guy nicknamed himself the process. The this like everyone talked about how like the the process trusters and everything turned into like almost like a cult like group. Well, it, it turned into even more of a cult like group after this whole thing. After after the uh, January that the Sixers had that ten it was only a ten and five record in January. But I, if you didn't actually watch a game and just listened to like what everyone said about it and just watched the tweets about it, you would have thought they went fifteen and zero. That is how hype this fan base, this the, even the even the national guys were going crazy about it. We already had people saying Embiid lock for rookie. I mean, even now after 31 games, we have people saying that Embiid should be rookie of the year. He only played 31 games. That's not even half of the season. And people are saying that he should be rookie of the year. Do you know how much of an impact you have to have to actually have national media guys think that he should be rookie of the year? And only playing 31 games and 25 minutes a game? Like, that's insane. And so, that's the thing. I want to give these top draft picks an A. And even even an A+. Plus. But the fact that Joel Embiid only played 31 games, when he went down with that second injury and was ruled out for the rest of the season and then all the questions began about the Sixers training staff which Sixers training staff I give them a D minus just throwing that out there since we're giving grades D minus for the trainers don't at me I don't care D minus I guess you get a little bit of points no screw that you don't get points you get an F. We're go. We're changing the D minus back to down to an F. Uh, I was about to give them points because a couple guys came back from injury, but usually the guys who came back from injury went straight back to injury, like Jared Bayless. So no, <laughs> not giving points. Even Jaleel Okafor was never really the same with the knee injury this whole time. Uh, it didn't seem like he ever got back from that. So yeah, no points. F. You get it. Um, but yeah, so Joel Embiid proved that the hype is real. Like, this is real. As long as he stays healthy. Um, so as I was just saying, Jaleel Okafor, you know, he didn't look the same with the whole knee injury. He further proved that he's just not suited for the modern NBA. Uh, if, like... I swear, if Jaleel Okafor came into the NBA the same time like Shaq did, Okafor would be so much more sought after than he is now. Like, it's ridiculous. If he was just in a different era, everybody would be crazy over over Jaleel Okafor. Because his post moves are really ridiculous. I mean, you could even say he wakes right up, rolls out of bed, and gets 20 and 10. No, I'm just playing. Um, but seriously, if he was in a different 
era, he would be great. This one, not so much. The Sixers need to get rid of him any way they can just to free up the logjam in the, uh, you know, the the, the big man logjam they have there. Uh, it's just, they, they got to move him. Um, so Dario Saric, the other rookie of the year candidate for the Sixers. He played 81 games. He was the guy to last the longest and the one to say and the one that uh supposedly was never going to come over to the states. F- go figure. Uh he proved to be a productive really solid two-way player. I mean, his defense it, the, the thing is his defense is a little limited as far as who he can guard. But if he guards the guys that he can stay in front of, then, you know, like the the power forwards, he's soft. He proved to be a great playmaker, like a lot of people expected him to be after seeing his highlights uh, from overseas. He didn't shoot that well uh, from three-point. Like, a lot of people love to say, like, Dario Saric is a great shooter. I mean, we can... We can retract some of that hype there he did only shoot 31 percent from three so it's not like this guy is a lights out shooter he's not a Dirk Nowitzki people I I saw someone say that um Fultz equals James Harden Ben Simmons equals LeBron Dario equals Nowitzki and Embiid equals uh Hakeem Olajuwon super team those, like, you gotta relax. <laughs> like, you gotta chill, bruh. Just take a step back, reevaluate your surroundings there, and understand, like, just take it back a notch. Just, just, just take it back a notch. <laughs> um, but, anyway, Sarch is a, is a great player. Um, He's definitely proven that he can be a, you know, productive starter. But I think he'd be he'd be more suited as the sixth man for the Sixers, especially with Fultz coming in, uh, moving. I think it would be better to move Simmons to the power forward spot, move Covington to the small forward spot, let Fultz play the point guard, Embiid play the center. And then you throw in a two guard like, say, Luau Cabarro. I mean, they still have Gerald Henderson, who will probably, you know, just fill in some holes there. They, they have a couple guys who can uh, fill in that two guard hole. I mean, even Justin Anderson. So, uh, really, they, they, they're going to have to run a committee there anyway. But, free agency. I mean, we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, so Dario Sarge, like him alone, I would give a, a B to a B plus, uh, one, because he was one of the ones who managed to stay healthy Two, I wouldn't give him an A just because his shooting really wasn't that great. Uh, but this guy did average almost 13 points a game, uh, 6.3 rebounds a game, 2.2 assists per game. <coughs> Excuse me. And I mean, he was he was in almost all of the games, so that's why he gets the best grade of those guys from me. Uh, and then the other two guys that I talked about, uh, well, not other two, we already talked about Okafor, so Nerlens Noel, 
I mean, he was a guy that I thought the Sixers were going to keep. One that played well behind uh, Joel Embiid, who could give you some insurance as a defensive center. But they ended up trading him away for next to nothing for a fake first-round pick and Justin Anderson. Anderson's okay. Um, You know, uh, he came touted as, like, a very good defender. His defense was okay. His defense was decent. He gets some block shots. He reminds me of KJ McDaniels in the fact that uh, people think he's a great defender because he blocks some shots. Uh, Just blocking shots doesn't make you an amazing defender. There's a lot more to it, especially as a guard. So he has some to work on that on that end, as well as on offense, he cannot shoot. I mean, he shot 29% from three while averaging three three-point three attempts per game. So yeah, he has a lot of room in the shooting department to improve upon. Um, but yeah, so him getting, Nerlens Noel getting traded away, you don't really get a, a, a good grade for that either. So top draft picks, overall, that group, I gave a C plus. So my final grade for the Sixers this past season was a C plus. Now, I know that a lot of people based off of their potential say it should be higher some people think it should be lower because they were like one of the worst teams in the league uh, record wise but the matter of the fact is we're looking at this compared to last season as well as in the season itself and the players growth themselves so I'm not looking at potential past that season I'm only looking inside that season and that was why I came up with that C plus grade and, you know, this team has a lot of promise. So this offseason, things they did, things they should do, well, I would have told you before they should make some kind of trade to get either a big-name player or a big draft pick. And I'll tell you, Colangelo exceeded my expectations. This is finally a defining move for his tenure. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, those were Hinky's assets, though. Like, Hinky still allowed him to make that move. Yeah, sure. That part is true. But it is Colangelo, the one who actually formulated the deal. And I don't want to say fleeced the Celtics, but he got a great return. I mean, the number three and only one other first-round pick for the number one didn't give up any players thought for sure he would have to give up a guy like Sarich or Covington didn't do it and not only did he only give up one other pick it wasn't any of the Sixers picks it 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 was so there's a lot of math involving the protections it was like they get the Lakers pick next year if it falls between two and five that's inclusive And then if it does not fall in there, they get the Kings pick the year after. But with the Kings pick, they get the better of the Kings Sixers pick. Unless one of them is number one. So the Sixers can still technically, if one of those picks, if the Lakers or the Kings pick go to number one, they could get them right back. 
as well as have this number one pick. Now, I know the luck for that is ridiculously, you know, not in their favor. But if that were to happen, Colangelo would look like even more of a genius. And this brings a guy that the Sixers have needed now for a while, that have been looked that they've been looking for for a while in Fultz. He he is supposed to be the generational talent in the draft. He is the guard that the Sixers need who can work on ball, off ball, and can fit with Ben Simmons. This is their guy. This is who they wanted. This is who they have needed. And on the heels of this move, the team is already expecting to sell out all 41 home games. And they have already sold a record amount of season tickets. This is a big, big offseason for the Sixers. And nobody was seeing, nobody was expecting this. Nobody was expecting them to actually go out and make this kind of uh, magnitude of a deal. And that's what makes it that much better. Um, and now, so for free agency, you know, they could go and grab a free agent shooter now. Or they could wait till next offseason. They really don't have to rush for it. Because with these these guys that they have now, who are all around the same age, under the age of 23, 24, they don't have to do it right now because this team's not going to realistically compete for a championship until a couple seasons down the road. So they don't have to really go all in right now with all of their chips. They can wait. If they don't want that J.J. Redick uh, in this offseason, you know, they can wait for it and get the better one maybe next offseason. So that is something that they can really just wait for and see what happens. It's really what it comes down to. But that is it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files. I'll be back again next week. Hope you guys enjoy the draft. Uh, you know, definitely going to throw some of those in for our uh, next team of the week. I'm obviously not really going to do the prospects of the week anymore because the draft is already here. So, you know, you got those prospects that I decided to talk about last week, and that was really about it. So if you want to see our latest mock draft, we had a live stream to go over our whole mock uh, first round mock draft. It is now going to be up on our website as well. So check that out. BasketballSocietyOnline.com. And uh, make sure you check us out for all of your NBA draft uh, summer league needs. We have WNBA. We're going to have college. Everything. Just make sure you check us out. We are the one-stop shop for everything basketball. So make sure you check out our site. And then check out the Deepish Thoughts Podcast Network. The Atlantic Vials is a part of the network. They have some great shows on there as well. So make sure you check them out too. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Catch you guys next week. Peace.